Welcome to Across the Line. This is a very important episode that we have for you as we have just gotten some groundbreaking news in the world of Philippine club football. The owners of Ceres Negros have pulled out their support for the club and the management of the club is currently looking for new investors. This is a breaking point in Philippine club football that has perhaps been um, coming or looming for quite some time, but it has repercussions over the last 10 years of the trajectory of Philippine club football. And Chris, we really get an opportunity to dive deep into the subject. Yeah, Jing, uh, 10 years since the miracle in, in Hanoi. And this has certainly been one of the biggest news stories since the formation of, 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 the, of the PFL. And yeah, where do we really go from here? It's, um, it's definitely a watershed moment. It's definitely difficult to see how the league will, um, will continue in its current guise. We've obviously had teams pull out before, but to have the, the beacon of light, the beacon of Philippine football, um, looking like they're going to be no more, I think it is a significant, significant moment in um, in the domestic game. And the repercussions of that, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But you know, obviously we spoke a lot about how we think it's going to impact the domestic games. We, we talk a lot about how the build up to this um, this outcome has, has come, and you know they're not the first club to, to pull out, are they, Jing? You know we've had other other clubs pull pull out from the PFL in, in the last two three seasons, but but none of the magnitude, none of the stature of Ceres Negro. So how we can push forward this, how the, the domestic game will be impacted by this, is what we discuss in a lot of depth in this episode. Um, yeah, man, a ten year ride has culminated in this and uh, the, the big question that we're asking is is this the end for Philippine club football and we get an opportunity to really go deep into that in this episode and if you like it please do subscribe to the show on YouTube Spotify and on Apple Podcasts and as this is a topic that will be talked about over the la- uh, the next few weeks uh, we invite everybody to share their thoughts we're very much curious to hear what your take is on it and uh messages on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Let us know what you think and what you foresee for Philippine club football in the near future. So without further ado, uh, enjoy this episode between Chris Greatrich and myself on this Football Friday. Four months into the quarantine period here in the Philippines, and as you'd expect, Philippine football has been feeling the strain. Today, on this very day, there has been some incredible news that has come out, breaking news, so to speak, and it is a confirmation of what has been uh, a month long of rumors regarding the future of Ceres Negros. Today, it was announced that their ownership has removed their stake into the club and are now hoping that the club be acquired by new ownership if they are to continue in the AFC Cup for 2020 and if they are going to participate in the PFL. Ceres Negros is the biggest club in the Philippines and the most successful one over the last five years. And now they are no more. And to speak about it, of course, is Christopher Greatrich and myself. Chris, huge news in Philippine football. Massive news. Massive news for Philippine football. Uh, the, the rumors have been circulating for, for a number of weeks now. Um, 
it's sort of gathered pace, hasn't it, in the last week or so on the on the message boards, on the on the Facebook pages of, of various fan networks. And yeah, confirmation of what most of us already knew um, was announced earlier on today. Um, what does this mean for Philippine football, Jing? Um, I, 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 I don't want to sound sombre, um, but in light of what's been going on in, in recent months, in recent years, tempered with the COVID-19 virus, you know, we're seeing a lot of football clubs fold um, in, in this region. We've seen a lot of clubs express their difficulties in, in just managing to keep the clubs afloat in, in Europe, for example, within some of the biggest leagues in the world. And is this, is this the end for Philippine football on a club level? You know, I, I don't want to sound dramatic. I don't want to sound too, um, yeah, I don't want to go over the top with, with making a statement like that. But it just feels as though, I think for a number of years now, the PFL has been treading water. Um, we see dwindling numbers in terms of support. Clubs have been dropping out each and every year. Is this the end for, for club football in the Philippines as we know it? Oh, wow, man. What a way to start off a, a podcast, right? I mean, that is the ultimate question and a question that needs to be asked, right? Um, I sincerely hope not because that means I'm out of a job, right? So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Um, that would suck. But... I don't think you're wrong in, at least in my mind, the way we see club football today. This version of club football has essentially breathed its last breath, right? Ceres Negros was the shining light of Philippine football over the last five years, right? The things that they have accomplished, not only inside the country, but all over the, uh, the, the continent of Asia has been sensational and something... Uh, worthy of, of immense praise, um, winning the AFC Cup, you know, being a part of uh, another final, uh, being in the semis last year. There are crazy Champions League runs. Um, they've pushed well above what anybody would have dreamed of for Philippine football at this given time. But now that they're gone, it's sort of like shined a light as well on all the holes that Philippine club football still currently has and uh, glory chasing um, and, and chasing trophies on this scale. Um, it, it, it has a price, man. And the price is pretty large. And um, if your business is uh, a fleet of buses that are currently parked and unable to shuttle people back and forth or are operating at 50% capacity, you don't have the money to finance the wage bill, which when you look at the, the players that they have, it's got to be gigantic. You know, you're talking about Stefan Schrock. You're talking about Roland Muller. You're talking about Bienvenido Marañon, Super Herrera, and the legion of Philippine internationals that they have on that team. That can't be cheap. So I think operating a football club where you assemble this superstar squad, I think those days are over. And we don't need to just look at Saras for that. I mean, you're looking at global or what global used to be uh, overpaying 
players to get the best squad possible. That's out of the window. Meralco has folded as well. Uh, Davao has folded. And now Ceres. Everybody who's tried to assemble a superstar squad, eventually it, it reaches an end point. And um, Ceres has managed it a little bit longer than most because of the passion of Leo Ray Jansson. But man, it's, it's, I don't think you can run a club that way. And um, unfortunately for us, this is the end for, for maybe a little while of seeing Philippine clubs make it this far in, in, in continental competition. Well, do you want to go through a little bit about what the statement had in, um, that was made by Ceres? Do you want to just, just go through sort of the key points that was made by the club in their announcement that was made earlier today? Um, they essentially said that Leo Ray Jansson has pulled the plug on his support for the club. Um, mm-hmm. And they are looking, currently the management is looking for new investors and they are speaking with a new investor that is interested in acquiring the club. Um, so if the ownership change does push through, Ceres is membership in the PFF and in the PFL will remain as if nothing happened, right? Essentially, uh, it is up to the ownership then to decide whether they're going to keep the roster, whether they're going to overhaul the roster. I'm sure there will be concessions made for both the PFL, the PFF, and the third, the AFC, right? AFC would not want a club to pull out of their competition, a team that is currently with three wins out of three in that competition and has been a massive force in the competition over the last four or five years. You don't want them pulling out, right? They might change their name, but as long as they remain in the competition, at least for 2020, they're going to want that. But that is the gist of what has transpired, right? I obviously so, that has, go ahead. Yes. So, so with regards to that, let's never look at this, unpack this from the AFC standpoint. So what you're saying is if, if they were to rename themselves uh, under a new owner, they would still be a- able to compete in the AFC cup competition. Is that what you're suggesting? I'm suggesting that that has not been confirmed on the end of the okay. AFC. Although I am assuming that you will not want to kick out, a club that is still mid competition, right? They might have changed their owners, but as long as they're still, uh, the management is the, still the same, right? And there is a semblance of Sarah still existing, you're probably going to let them run, right? Because, because I think I read somewhere that they were going to change their name. That was one of the things in the statement that they said that they were going to have to change their name. So I'm assuming that if they're going to be under new ownership with a different name, surely they can't compete on, on the Asian stage. If they keep Negros, maybe they keep Negros. They still represent the same region. Obviously, keeping Ceres would be weird because the the money is no longer coming from the bus line itself. Um, but you know, it's it's extraordinary times. I'm sure they could make um, extraordinary concessions given the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's that be inter- interesting to see how how that would impact. Obviously, a certain whichever investor or a group of investors would be looking to invest in a club, naturally that would be an attractive proposition to, to be taken over a club that was still within within you know touching dif- distance of qualifying out of an AFC mm. Cup group stage, um, if and when that happens. Um, but for me, if you sort of take, take a sort of a longer-term perspective on it, if I was to go in and I had the resources to buy a club, surely I just want to have a clean slate, absorb... A uh, either a, a team 
or, or invest in a club or a city or a region completely independent without any baggage where you can put your own stamp on your, um, on your region, on your club, on your team um, and, and start completely afresh. Um, mm. I know that in, in the statement they said that they were, they had investors um, that who they were talking to. Um, I just, you know, I, I was wondering in this current climate who, who that would be and, and why would they not just want to go and set up shop independently uh, in a, you know, in a brand new region with a brand new team, clean slate, um, and, and, and start afresh. I mean, we, we, we've seen, um, I know you're wearing a home United Jersey today. Yeah. Um, Jing, Jing. So, I mean, I know they've, they've changed their name, um, recently. Um, was mm-hmm. it, and it was a change of ownership also, right? They had, they had a yes. change, change of ownership, but that was, that was at the end of a season cycle. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but are they still participating in AFC competition or did they not, did they not qualify this year? They I did mean, not it. qualify this year. Okay. So right. the Lion City Sailors, their franchise was purchased, I believe, right? Which would okay. be a similar kind of scenario with Ceres Negros. So um, whatever their name might be, what you're acquiring there is their, um, the license, that was acquired by the club uh, in order to operate, right? So if you keep the management intact, essentially what you are guaranteeing is that the management understands what it takes to meet the requirements um, that your license demands, right? Um, If they're Mm -hmm. able to do that, then you can still assume that this new entity will be run uh, at least to a certain degree um, uh, to a level of professionalism that is acceptable with the necessary venues and requirements that fill um, what the licensing requires. So there, um, that's what I think. So the question really though, for me is, do you want to run it the same way? Are you going to like, if you're, if you were to, okay, you acquire the license, you're still in the competitions that you want to be in. Are you going to try to put out the same roster that Saris currently holds because that is a strain on your budget like nobody's business and it is the pa- uh, time of pandemic. Who has that kind of cash right now? I think that's a massive question. A massive question. And then obviously, how many players are going to be willing to stay and play if the majority of the squad aren't going to be there? Uh, right. We've already seen an exodus um, of players. At, at the very least, they've left the country. So they're not in the country right now and are obviously awaiting the you know, the outcome of, of um, the, the PFL, out, awaiting the outcomes of, of pandemic um, you know, regulations to be um, less restrictive uh, and, and then kind of making a call as to whether or not they're going to be coming back. But yeah, definitely as, as, a, as a business model, and, and we've spoke about this before on the show, if you look at in terms of what's in common with all of those clubs that you've mentioned there who have pulled the plug on, on their operations. Um, all singular individuals who have had primary ownership of the club, who have either lo- lost interest or have, un- have been unable to, to continue to fund the operation. Yeah. And what we've been saying from the get-go since we've been doing this podcast, since we've been having conversations about this sort of topic, is there needs to be a sustainability factor to any club that's going to go into operation. Now, obviously, uh, you know, you look at someone like Moralco, maybe they're the exception because they were run by um, um, 
you know, a, 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 an electrical electricity power corporation. Yeah. But I, I just feel if you're at the mercy of one individual and their funds, inevitably, inevitably you're, you're, you're in a very precarious position. If you look at how clubs operate in, in Germany, for example, you know, a lot of them are fan owned or they have some ownership of the club. It's built around the community and therefore you have an obligation to be running in a professional, in an organized manner, because you are, you, you, you owe it to the, to, to the people of that community. It's, it's the same in, in, in the UK. You know, a lot of them are you know, former um, teams of the factory workers and then they have that sense of community. Um, people obviously converge on, on the stadium on the, on the weekend to, to support their clubs. And, you know, they have all of the infrastructure there. Even at the lower leagues, you have, you know, the clubhouse where people will go and they will drink or socialise during during the course of the week. People have their birthday parties. It's multifunctional. You know, we, we, we can't we can't have teams in our league paying $25,000 a month to, to an individual player, you know, and we don't have a training facility, you know, or, or, or we don't, you don't have, um, you don't have your own stadium. It, it yeah. just doesn't seem to make sense to have that sort of top down approach um, because invariably it, it, it's, it's taken this pandemic or it's taken an owner to lose interest to, to find ourselves in a situation that we have now, which is we are scrambling for, for, teams simply to compete simply to compete at the PFL yeah um it's what we're what we've essentially seen now I believe is the popping of what has been a bubble that has been growing over the last five years right ever since the focus moved into filling the requirements of the Asian Football Confederation and ensuring that we we meet those high standards, the expenses have inevitably gone up, right? On top of the fact that you have teams that have invested extra in order to thrive on this new stage, that has left other clubs with a mountain to climb with regards to meeting the level of quality on the pitch but also it has robbed well not robbed but it has taken the focus away from building your foundations strongly as football clubs right the focus has been on winning and you know there have been some great highs with you know winning the CN zone final um seeing them play in in, in places like japan and thailand and australia and in winning matches that has been incredible um and no Saris fan would 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 tell you that those moments won't live forever in their psyches my question is was it worth it was the trade worth it right was glory hunting this early in our club football history so to speak um worth it rather than spending what could have been a more boring five years building the 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 the, the clubs up from scratch right um as you said, embedding yourself in the community, getting yourself the clubhouses, um, making sure that you have systems for merch and getting people into the stadiums who are paying customers, and opening your clubs up to um, to to your, your your loyal fans to have a stake in the club. Even um, all of these revenue streams don't exist in Philippine football. It exists from one source, and that is your main sponsor or your main uh, benefactor, 
Um, and that is it, right? If, if, if his business takes a hit or that business takes a hit, then you are first on the chopping block as the value in return of your football club. Um, let's face it, it is not, it's not as high as what is being put into them, right? Commercial value coming back is how many eyeballs are there? Um, is the product that you're seeing on the television, if it is on TV, is it that good that you're confident that the sport is going to grow? Um, what indicators are saying that the football is growing or the community is growing because you've put in efforts A, B, and C? Those questions need to be asked now, right? I mean, uh, I think it's becoming more and more clear to everyone that if we continue walking down this road, we're all going to end up like Saris. We're all going to end up in the same boat, which is non-existent, right? Unfortunately, I think that's what I see. Yeah, I think one of the key things you mentioned there is, let's say, for example, I'm looking at the Ceres model uh, and no one expected a pandemic situation to occur. So I think for, 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 for a large number of teams, you budget for the year, you don't expect there to be a mass pandemic that's going to hit the, 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 the global economy. So you have to take that into consideration. However, um, I'm looking at exactly what you said, people chasing that dream, not looking at the infrastructure, not taking into consideration grassroots. And that, for me, well, one of the things you mentioned there, which was, let's say, for example, we were chasing the compliance with the AFC. How many of those things are actually still in place now that could benefit the club down the road? Things like having a bona fide academy where you could potentially pull players from an academy setup. You know, none of those clubs that I can think of that are visibly in that PFL competition now, how many of them have bona fide youth academies where they can pull their resources from that academy? None. I don't think there's that many. So Kai is probably the only one, right? And mm. that for me is, is, is a massive problem. You know, I know that Sarah spent a lot of money on the regeneration of the stadium, for example, um, mm. upgrading the seats. Upgrade. How, how, how much of that is now applicable to the club? It's all very sort of short-term gains. Let's try and get the short-term gain. Let's try and bring in some really big-name players, get quick hit, quick fix, maybe get us to an AFC Cup competition. Maybe we win a domestic cup competition. Maybe we win the league. And then let's see where it takes us. And I think one of the things that is a massive, massive misgiving, I don't necessarily blame the clubs here because they've had very limited experience themselves. But the PFL, PFF, sorry, the governing body, they should have been more involved in assisting clubs in getting their compliance all in order and ensuring that clubs were running a sustainable model. Uh, and I think AFC also have, have a lot to answer for with that as well. You know, they needed to be more involved as a essentially a startup league in ensuring that all of the compliance was met by the clubs. And if those regulations were not met, then they either need to be sanctioned in some way or given the means to upgrade in certain areas to enable them to participate in competitions further down the road. Because what? Well, go, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 you go no, ahead, Jim. I think on paper, they met it. Everybody who is involved in, in, in AFC, for example, AFC Cup competition, meets those standards on paper. That's the problem, right? Do they, though, I mean, Jing? Did they, though, Jing? 
you well, know, that, technically, uh, yes. I, I, I'm not too sure about that. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe in terms of AF, AFC caliber team, so that would include Kyra and Ceres. and Ceres in this. But I remember when we did the compliance um, when the PFL was um, was was, for, was formulated, and we would sit down and we would go through point by point with the um, with the PFL. Um, delegate and you'd have to go through each and every point and make sure yeah okay you've got that you've got x number of turnstiles at your facility you have a youth academy you have uh revenue streams coming from outside and, and it's all checked it's all checked it's all checked mm. yeah. we know we both know that the majority of the clubs don't have those do not meet the criteria in that regard right we know that we, we, we know that Jing. um yeah. you know we we know that I mean, not in terms of like a bona fide youth structure. I mean, obviously, Ceres has the affiliate with the universities uh, and they have a, a sort of a, an, a, a branch of that here in here in uh, in the metro area. But they don't have like a, a formal academy as you would find, let's say, for example, in, in Europe, you know, yeah. where there is a bona fide streamlined structure um, that feeds into a first team that is that is geared upon trying to develop and cultivate talent to come and play it into your first team. So, you know, those sorts of things are are, are missing. You know, those those things were, were, were sadly uh, awry. And then, you know, like we said before about the training ground situation, you know, we, we were going on to, to do training sessions you know, after after Frisbee had finished at McKinley Hill, for example. Like, I can't think of any professional organisations that were having to wait you know, for another sport to finish before you got onto the training field to conduct your training sessions. Um, for, for me, it's just that short-term, short-sightedness, the, the, the lack of planning from um, from both club and, and, and governing body has, has left us in this predicament. And the pandemic has obviously hit the worst possible time for the league because it was already struggling, the wheels already coming off. Um, you know, we've already seen last year where we had a league for, what, two games on, on the same day. And then the following week, it went back to the previous um, league structure. Um, we've had teams pull out for various reasons over the past three, four years. It just feels like it's the end of a cycle. And uh, again, like I said to you at the top of the conversation, I don't want it to seem like it's all doom and gloom. But I think it's a great time now for reflection. And maybe it's an opportunity for the powers that be to get together and maybe think of a, of a new way forward, learn from the mistakes that, that clubs have made and try to come back with a more uh, bona fide, long-term, sustainable plan that clubs can follow and that will enable there to be some longevity within club football here in the Philippines. I think you hit it there um, on the head, you know? I mean, the pandemic has accelerated the process but we already knew that we were kind of heading in this direction uh so it has just highlighted further the need for uh, a real assessment of what needs to be done in philippine football right i mean uh rick olivares is back writing um football news these days and he's he came out with one recently that talks about the accountability in philippine football uh and, and thinking about what model that we're currently exercising and whether or not it's the right path to walk down and it might take uh an, um, the implosion of a club like Sarah's for us to be to for it to really hit home you know um that yeah 
maybe maybe this isn't the best way to to do this, right? I mean, we've earned ourselves a playoff spot. No, not even a playoff spot. A group spot, group stage spot in the Champions League. That's how we are regarded in the continental stage as Philippine clubs that we win. If we place second or win the competition or win the cup, we're going to move ourselves straight into the group stage of the Champions League. They think that we are this entity that is uh, ready for this level of competition when in truth, there's just one or two standouts that are pushing above their weight, well above their weight, right? But if we're going to make it something sustainable as a environment of Philippine football, then as you say, there needs to be a, a real clear picture and a new path laid down as to how we we're going to going to do this. The question is, what road is that? What 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 do you want to see, right? Um, we're going to come out of this pandemic with potentially a shortened season. Hopefully, that still pushes through, and yep. uh, a compressed AFC Cup schedule. Twenty twenty. Let's assume there is not going to be a vaccine or a cure in twenty twenty, and let's just push ahead and say midway through twenty twenty one we are still in the same kind of state, right? Let's not be too optimistic. Let's just say 2021 third quarter is when we're going to get an opportunity to get into a, a, a state of normalcy once again. Where does that leave us? What's, wh- wh- how do you foresee the remaining clubs acting? And do you see potential new clubs getting interested in being involved in Philippine football at this point? I, I think you, you hit, the ne- uh, hit a great point with um, with Rick Oliveras. He's been writing some really excellent stuff um, in the past week or two. Uh, we haven't heard from him for about five years, and then all of a sudden he's, come, he's been coming out with some some really really insightful pieces. Um, so uh, I've actually been speaking to Rick about them and, and been encouraging him to continue to put some uh, some more really good content out there. And and what absolutely the the accountability one that he put out was absolutely fantastic. It's it, it, again, you said it, it hits an nail on the head in so many different topics, so many different subjects from grassroots football to the owners being on the clubs to um, build a more sustainable model. So many, so many things that, that he's put up in, in recent weeks have been fantastic. So shout out to Rick. He's been brilliant. Um, what I think as a, as a model that worked. And one of the things that Rick highlighted in his articles were at one point, I think in the UFL, he said there were 24 or 26 clubs in across the two divisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you had a couple of um, guest teams that were participating in some of the cup competitions. So there were enough teams there to suggest that the, the, there are, there is interest um, in club football. And you only have to look back to the old videos of, of UFL games at McKinley Hill and, you know, it'd be packed, you know, 2,000 people crammed into that tiny stadium, um, you know, live on the TV networks, fantastic atmosphere and the, the passion and enthusiasm for the game at that time was, was really, really heightened. Um, teams weren't spending too much beyond their means, I would say, um, some teams were obviously spending more than others, but I think a lot of teams were operating within, you know, justifiable um, parameters. I would like to see a similar type of model come back, if I'm being quite honest. I know we've talked about having, 
I think, and I think the, the Sevens League are doing a good job of trying to have something central here in Manila and then trying to do pocket tournaments, pocket competitions out in, in the um, in the provinces. I think that's a great model to, to have, even for, from an 11-a-side um, standpoint. I think we could have a centralised league here, try to get it on a television network, bring down the cost um, for teams to operate, franchise fees included, um, have... Uh, no limits or no restrictions on foreigners. I think that was a huge, huge change um, in policy that affected a number of different clubs. You know, especially clubs like Nomads, for example, who were uh, you know one of the pillars of the football community, and, and and you know over the course of one summer, were just wiped off the face of of the domestic uh, f- domestic football. I think for those clubs, you know, like, like for example, Kaya, who want to participate in. AFC caliber competitions that they should again hold themselves accountable to adhering to those rules play with the three plus one rule um, okay it might give a, a little bit of a benefit and an advantage to some of the other clubs who are participating in the competition but if you want to if you want to build a more sustainable league I think that's what's going to have to happen um, I, I definitely think there needs to be, again, as Rick Oliveira has highlighted, this needs to be some sort of categorization on clubs as well, you know, making them accountable. So I know that they are talking about having people in the provinces, football associations in the provinces. You know, what is, what is your one-year, three-year, five-year yeah. plan? You know, take a look at somebody's clubs. Right, Kyle, what have you got? Right, well, we have a you know, 30-man roster. We have... Um, qualified PTs we have coaches with requisite license we have an we have a youth academy etc 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 okay you you get a certain charter or you set a certain um, category category one uh, PFF standard you know if you're a club that simply just has a men's team um, you know your coach doesn't have the requisite license you don't have a full-time medical staff etc etc okay then you might get a, a different categorization and with that level of categorization what what are you eligible okay you might not be able to qualify for AFC competitions right but right can we then assist you in certain ways to help uplift you to and elevate your level you know i think that's what it's about we've got to try to help each other one thing i was really confused about with with some of these guys that are going in and just pumping in so much money into one individual club is do you not want to see the entire football community thrive? Do you not want to see the, the entire scene thrive? You know, w- would you not want to be involved maybe on a more managerial level or on a league level where you can have a, a broader sphere of influence? You know, there's, there's obviously there's that ego thing that comes with, I want to own a club and I want to have the best club and I want to go in and perform exquisitely on, on the regional stage. And that's great. Um, and I, and, I, and I fully, I fully admire what what what, what Sarah's accomplished because at the end of the day, they they put Philippine football on the map. Um, yeah. But obviously, what that then created was this vacuum where all of the other clubs were trying to keep pace, and it just wasn't sustainable. And that is the key to me. A uh, key for me is is building that sustainable model. I, I look across, and we're looking at teams like Thailand and thinking that that's a model that should be replicated. But I'm looking at Cambodia. I look at Cambodia and see how they're doing things. You know, which might seem a bit of an obscure one, but I've seen. Have you seen some of the stadia in in, in Cambodia? Some of the training facilities out of Cambodia. They're getting good crowds. They're on television. You know, they're slowly building um, 
the foundations to having a really bona fide and good quality domestic product. And I think exactly what you said, although it might take five years, 10 years, 20 years, that's a model that we should be looking to. We can't keep looking for these quick fixes. We can't keep looking for these quick hits because invariably, invariably what we're, we're going to be left with is, is, is what we've got right now, which is, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to, again, I don't, I said it at the top of the program, but we are now left with this question, which is, is, is this now the end for, for club football here in the Philippines as we know it? And if that's the case, 10 years on from the miracle of Hanoi, that would be the biggest biggest travesty i think you know you know the more that we expound upon it the more that we discuss it i don't think it is i don't think it is then you know i think it's a new normal that's on the horizon and 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 the thing is it's it's made it very very clear um that there is change that 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 needs to be done right so i mean the learning process uh, is not necessarily uh, convenient or desirable in the lessons that it teaches, but we are now um, fully absorbed with what we've been taught over the last 10 years of how to run club football. Now, the last three years have brought a lot of problems, right? I mean, you, like, we, like we said, the acceleration of, of needing to meet all of these requirements has taken a toll on the clubs, on the entire community uh, as a whole. But there are, I see, some positives as well that we can take from this, right? The professionalism that was pushed onto all the clubs um, to a certain degree that has been practiced by the likes of Stalin, Kaya, um, everybody who's been involved actually has been um, witness to a new level of, of organizational capacity that they need to operate on, which is quite interesting to me because organizationally, we're not too different from how a league operates, right? You can host your own matches. You know how to do that, right? You have your own media, your own marketing um, team. You have uh, the, the capability to um, set up practices and, and um, know how to run the club into a reasonable budget. Uh, these are things that you can then move along and create, as you said, into a wider sphere of influence in your own community, which you should already be attached to anyway, and start seeing how might you be able to use your expertise that you've picked up over the last three years of trying to go super pro and use that as a means to influence your community, right? Maybe the UFL doesn't have to exist the way the UFL existed, existed five years ago, but maybe we will see the UFL sprouted up all over the country this time, right? Yeah. And maybe, you know, sponsors will understand that maybe my mileage is a little bit better if I'm running a league rather than just a club, right? Glory yeah. hunting. Because the interesting thing is these owners don't think that they weren't helping Philippine football. I believe in their minds, they were elevating the game. Right, creating a level of status that would make it undeniable for crowds to come. Man, if they're winning against clubs from Tokyo and, and Thailand, maybe I should check out Ceres Negros, right? And because we didn't know how this would end, it's a viable way of thinking that success will bring attention, 
right? I think I, I think that's a massive point, and, and that's something I really want to get across to everyone. Is I don't think it's it's anyone's fault. Like when I was talking about ego earlier, I didn't yeah. mean that in a necessary in a negative way. It's more like it, it's a natural human um, response to to want to be successful, to 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 want to to want to go and chase the trophy. Like I I, to, I totally get that, and I, I think you're absolutely spot on. The intentions of everyone was 100% positive. It was all because they wanted to to, to influence the domestic game. They wanted to push the boundaries and they did it the way that they thought was best mm. at that particular moment in time. Absolutely no, no doubt about that. So I think that's one thing we have to be very clear about. Um, and only with the benefit of hindsight are we saying this. So it's not really to call anyone out. It's more to be like, this is really like the best way forward probably would have been for them to, to try to generate some sort of league or, or help out or, or across a broader spectrum to, to enable there to be some, some more sustainability. But one thing I think you've really hinted on there, which I think is important. And it's a question that I wanted to bring to you, Jing. I'm not sure if anyone's really thought about this as a, as an idea, but my, one of the conclusions that I've come to recently, I think is that in the Philippines is football, a seasonal sport. And what I mean by that is when you're in the UK, when Wimbledon comes on, for example, everyone busts out the tennis rackets. Everyone goes down their local tennis courts. They play tennis for those two weeks. And then I'm going to say majority of people won't bring out their tennis rackets for another 11 and a half months. Mm. You know, football, however, is a religion. It's every day. It's on television. It's on the 24-hour sports news cycles. It's on the front page, on the back page of the newspapers. It's everywhere. It's unmissable. It's undeniable. Right. Football here in the Philippines, it just doesn't have, it just doesn't have that, it doesn't resonate with the public in, in, in that way. Um, other than basketball, does sport really? I mean, even look at Pac-Man. Pac-Man will fight twice a year. So yeah. he, he's very seasonal also. In, yeah. in, in respect to how, how and, and it's consumable because it's anyone can tune in for that, you know, Sunday morning bout in Las Vegas um, twice a year. It's pretty, that, that, that's, that's, that's very doable. So that, that was the other thing I was, I was thinking about with, with regards to football. And I would love, you know, a, a year round product I think is, is necessary um, because you still need to have that development and you still need to strive for, the level of professionalism that you have on the continent with, with some of our Southeast Asian neighbours and what you have across the world, really, because football is a, is a year-round sport. But is that something that we just have to accept as, as a Philippine community? And and and, and it's going to take time in order to try, and if they try to turn that tide to make it a more, you know, a weekly event. You go and watch a football game. You go down to the stadium and watch it. Is that something that's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to take time? And is that something that can be changed over a sustained period of time with the right level of uh, investment, with the right work in the communities, um, with the right marketing, do you, do you think that's possible or do you think that football will forever be a seasonal sport? No, I don't think it is. I don't think it will be. Um, I choose to believe that because we have learned the lesson, right? I think we're continuing to walk down this road and, and fittingly so, 10 years after the miracle in Hanoi. Prior to the miracle in Hanoi, Philippine football was in utter obscurity, right? In the darkness, nobody really knew except for the people that were interested already, right? 
you get a, a, a hint of success in, in qualifying into the semifinals, all of a sudden you are relevant and everything descends upon you. Um, and everybody knows you. And football is one of the highest highs it has ever been. So it makes sense, therefore, to think that success equals attention, which equals money, and that this is the model that we should be chasing. Let's get the best possible talent into the country, pay whatever it takes so that we can reach the highest highs and bring the attention back into the sport, right? It's reasonable to think that way, given the way the road led to this place. But now that we're here 10 years later, we see that that might have been faulty thinking. That might have been faulty way of reasoning, right? In order for it to not be a seasonal sport where we only, only wait for Suzuki Cup to come around every two years or for the odd Asian Cup campaign or for all of us to get behind one club who is participating in the Champions League, for example. In order for that to happen, then we need to, as you say, make it into a year-round thing. And the only way to do that is if we immerse the public into the sport. If you immerse the public in the sport, then they are going to be interested to come out and watch players play. Because the quality that we're going to produce, especially if we're not going to be paying over the odds for the likes of Stefan Schrock and, and individuals of that caliber, is that the quality is going to drop, right? That's one of the positives that we had over the last three years is that the quality has been raised tremendously um, of the football. I mean, local homegrown players are getting used to the level of play in Asia, which is tremendous for the level of play. But it has come at a drawback of large proportions elsewhere. In, in the industry, right? And we're seeing that now. But what we really need is to be able to address that in a, in, in a way. So the quality is going to drop, but how are we going to entice people to keep watching uh, a product that perhaps is a little less than what we have now? And my answer to that is to immerse them into the culture, right? Have them be attached to the players. Have them be emotionally attached to the competitions, to the fate of their club, of their community. Um, essentially, that's the way I see it because there are so many examples over the course of history of quality of play not being that good, but as long as there is a passion behind it, there's a reason for them to come out and watch these players play and compete, um, then the people will come, the people will watch. They're not there to watch the very best footballers play especially if you're a casual, you don't understand what the best football looks like. You're there to watch emotions. You want, you're there to watch drama, right? Which can transpire in a three-on-three game on the side of the road. If you're, if you're keen enough of, of an observer, there are some dramatic intramural matches that you mm-hmm. will go home and speak to with your parents or your friends. Like, man, you should have seen this game after school a while ago, man. It was a crazy game. That could happen at any level of play. So as long as we involve the individuals or the fans, the community, into the stories of these players, the stories of the, uh, the paths that these teams are on, then I think we have a shot. I think we have a shot at, at getting people involved in the sport year-round. But then it becomes a football. It's almost as if we have to preach the gospel of football all over the Philippines. That's what needs to be done over the next five to ten years is just immerse the young generation in the sport, have them grow into individuals who live and breathe football on a regular basis, 
and it's just normal for them to see how their club is doing every week, right? I mean, just like in the in in the UK, watching, let's say, like Newcastle United has have had their ups and downs, but they've always had their fans, right? And they're always interested to see how they're going to fare this weekend, and th- that's because the community is ingrained in in the culture of that club. So we need to 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 strive for something like this. I think glory hunting and success hunting is not going to bring us what we want. Um, and unfortunately, it requires long-term thinking, <laughs> right? Uh, Which means people uh, have, have – we need yeah, to get an, a, an investment. We need to get a commitment from people to think not in two, three-year increments, but five, 10, 15-year increments. Are you willing to invest 15 years of your life so that you can look back 15 years later and say, this is what we've built? That's the thinking that needs to be ingrained, I think, in this batch of disillusioned people inside the industry now who see that the bubble has popped. Now what are we going to do, right? I don't think it's going to disappear completely because there are too many passionate people about the game, right? You and I included. So I think it's up to individuals like ourselves to then maybe speak about what could be done. And this is how I foresee it. That's just me. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's brilliant. I think it needs to be someone independent from the clubs, almost maybe even independent from, from football, to just come in with completely fresh ideas, fresh impetus, and exactly what you said, they have to engage in the community. I've always said, and we said this, we spoke about this a lot on the show, has to be starting from grassroots initiatives. Why would you not start with that? You've got ready-made kids who already participate in the sport, who already love the sport, who want to go and watch these people up close and personal um, and learn about the game. You know, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a prime prime place to start. And yet we don't have any grassroots initi- initiatives, Jing, outside of those that are run by independent bodies, uh, independent individuals, or, um, you know, uh, separate entities, private companies um, with, with their own, their own, their own in- initiatives. Um, and, and these types of programs are, are paying for the, the, these types of opportunities to get involved and, and have this sense of community. I, I think the football community is a little bit lost, if I'm, if I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of people wandering about going like, who can I attach myself to? You know, like, who can I talk about? It, it just isn't cohesive. It's not coherent. Like one example I'll give you, Gina, I think was a really, really interesting comparison is um, there was an article written in the UK a few a few years ago about um, darts and speedway. Mm. So they were saying basically during like the 80s, 90s, the same amount of people would go to watch darts as they would go to watch speedway. And it's the what same time. Speedway? Speed, speedway? Speed, speedway is essentially on oval track. It's a motorcycle without brakes. It's on like a sort and they would sort of, uh, you'd, you'd, you'd sort of lean into the corners and you'd end up skidding around the corners. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it, look it up, Speedway. It's yeah, basically motorcycling right. on, a, on like an oval track. But okay, dart, okay. And dart, darts and Speedway would have the same amount of, you know, sort of viewership at the, at the stadia, uh, which would be not many. It would attract the same type of person, namely, um, you know, working class, white people. Um, looking for a little bit of escapism where they could have a few pints with the pals. Um, and it was a very sort of niche market that they were catering to. Um, fast forward now, darts is a multi-million pound industry um, live on all the major networks. 
their players are huge superstars earning millions um huge crowds raucous fan experience and you would not believe the transformation it's had in such a such a short period of time relatively speaking short period of time and and obviously they got the investment and obviously they they took a lot of time in in marketing the sport in the correct way Mm -hmm. but now what you've got is I mean, I would go to the darts. I'm not massively into darts. Like, I quite like playing darts. But essentially what, what you said is true. Like, it doesn't have to be necessarily the quality of the actual game. Like, realistically, that's, you know, four or 5,000 people cramming into a massive auditorium to watch two, to watch two guys throw arrows at a <laughs> tiny board. Like, that makes yeah. no sense whatsoever. Like who, who in their right mind would pay good money for that? And the reason why they go and watch it is for the experience. Yeah. It's the fan experience is exquisite. And I look at the fan experience that we have, you know, we've been to Carmona. It's not great. It smells like cow poop and uh, horse poop, <laughs> right? You've been down to, you've been down to Rizal on yeah. a Tuesday night. It's scary. <laughs> it's scary. You know, um, I look back to the McKinney Hill days. The fan experience was pretty good, you know, for a fledgling league. It was yeah. pretty good. You know, you get a lot of people down there and a little bit of buzz, a little bit of atmosphere. All the people that would come down, they weren't necessarily Kaya fans or, or global fans, but you'd still go and watch a midweek stallions against Green Archers. You get you know McDonald's I mean? in the stands. You'd have a McDonald's in the stands. You'd have a chat with your pals. It yeah. was that that's the type of community you're trying to create. And I'm looking at like Anton's League, and I have that to an extent. Um, you know, they're on, on, on the networks, but th- there is a community out there, but you've got to harness it and you've got to market it the right way yeah. and, and 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 not look at it through the lens of necessarily exactly what you said, trying to put out the best possible product on the pitch. It's mm. bigger than what's going on on the pitch. You, and you've got to be able to identify that and see that on, in a broader context. And I think it's, it's going to take someone outside of football. It's going to take someone outside of our immediate network, I think, to, to, to be able to scale that out. And I think it's going to take a lot of involvement from, you know, a third party or a governing body to help the clubs, you know, organize themselves properly. Um, it's, it's quite interesting that you say that, that you think that it, it requires somebody from outside because, I'm seeing that after 10 years, James' young husband, that is a piece of news that is huge as well, has retired from the game. Phil Young Husband mm-hmm. is out. Uh, you're involved in the academy setup now. Anton is involved in sevens. Um, Ali, for example, is involved in management of Kaya, but he could easily be involved outside of, of Kaya as well. What I'm seeing is a large group of highly influential individuals who have not only been uh, crucial in the growth of the game, but have been privy and witness to all of its shortcomings over the last 10 years. Who better than you individuals and those that have been involved in the industry over the last 10 years to actively steer it in the right direction with the proper mindset of not trying to squeeze what I can out of the game, but to grow the game so that we can all enjoy a bigger piece of the pie later on. Right, I th- I think it's you guys. I, that's what I what I what I'm thinking uh, would be the ideal group of individuals to kind of like you guys command respect, command influence, and could easily steer the ship if you guys so choose to join forces. And it would be difficult to beat you guys in terms of clout, 
in terms of what you've brought to the game, I mean, who matches up? I'm not, I'm not saying we wouldn't want to be involved. My wife would say that because that's another job that I don't need to be undertaking. But, um, you know, I, I feel it just needs fresh impetus. It needs, it needs a fresh pair of eyes, someone who has no agenda. You know, no matter how you, how you spin it, I would always have an agenda. I would always be pushing things from a grassroots perspective, always, mm. um, and trying to push things from, from that standpoint. I'm not saying I, I couldn't be on an advisory board or, or, you know, part of some sort of council that would advise, you know, clubs on in terms of youth policy and be helped and help them get their youth structure up and running i would have no qualms about doing something like that you know would anton be great in terms of trying to get someone to put the league on a television network or be head of marketing absolutely but in terms of driving the league in terms of actually having a completely fresh perspective on how to do it i think that needs to be someone from outside someone who hasn't been um pummeled uh you know, with the grind of being involved in the politics of Philippine football, mm. you know, so, someone who, who James young husband always used to call it. It's like, like a, like a beat them up. Like one of those beat them up video games. Like there's that energy bar that just keeps going down and down and down and down. And right. eventually that final knockout blow. And then that's enough, you know, and then, and then that, that, that guy's knocked out. I, 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 I feel like we've been involved in it so for so long and we're in it so deep that yeah i've got i would love to be involved in it in some, in some capacity if there was some sort of regeneration or rebirth of of, of the domestic game here but I, I just feel like some with fresh ideas you know some maybe even outside the industry someone with a background in marketing someone who has no real affiliation with with football but was able to surround himself with the right him, him or herself with the right people who are involved in it, who can guide them effectively. I think that would be the perfect, per- perfect marriage. Mm. Um, because I think that, that this, this bubble that we're in, this, this sort of football bubble, it's, it can be toxic at times. Um, that crab mentality is, is rife within our football community and, it, and it's really sad. Um, and, and I just feel like someone with some fresh impetus, fresh ideas would, would be able to take that forward on, on, on a long-term level. Um, and, and just start afresh. Just completely start afresh. Someone's not tainted with the image of what, we, what, what it was when it was UFL. Someone who isn't tainted from the image of what they've seen in the last three or four years with the disbandment of the league, um, you know, with, with teams dropping out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's just my personal take on it. Um, I, I think there's a lot of positive people who, who could influence the game who aren't necessarily within it right now. Um, but... Whoever it is, I've got to see it from a long-term perspective, Gene. That's that's really what it's got to be. Something that's sustainable, uh, something that can be built out and something that's going to help the next generation and generations to follow because we can't keep going down this, this top-down model. Yeah. I think if anything, it's this is the rallying call, right? I mean, for many, this what this is what the pandemic has been about. You know, it's like... It's a showcase of how brittle the foundations we all think we've built are, right? I mean, very quickly jobs have been lost and, and, and lives have been turned upside down. And, and right now we're getting a lesson in that uh, in our industry, Philippine football, uh, club football as we know it, um, is, has been turned on its head. And the question though remains is um, how do we conduct ourselves afterwards, Right. I mean, there is a, an opportunity 
that remains, or we could all just accept the fact that this is it. And we could go down and say that we gave it a shot, you know, 10 years, it was a good run. We tried our best and then whatever it exploded. And what are we going to do about that? Let's all find other jobs. That's a, that's a viable road to take. I, for one, I'm not too much of a fan of that. I, I, the more that I look back at 10 years of being involved in Philippine football, the more I, I feel as if there's a reason why you went through all this. There's a reason why there's all this turmoil that you've seen so that you are the, exactly the individuals who don't make that same mistake if you so choose to walk still in this path for the next 10 years, right? So if you stepped out of it and enjoyed a different life, then you won't get the full grasp of the difficulties that were, that were necessary to learn these lessons. So we all have to take a look at ourselves in the mirror for over, over the next few weeks and see what roles can we all play in saving Philippine football. I think everybody talks a big game and like, you know, uh, I love Philippine football. May Philippine football continue for a long time and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, everybody who has a circle of influence, who has an opportunity to make change, they need to step up. And this is it. This is it. There's no better time to show your worth than in a crisis, right? That's, it's the only time. I mean, we're seeing it now, right? The lack of leadership or the, the presence of leadership is, is, is heightened, is multiplied by the fact that there is a crisis on hand. So the people who emerge over the next few weeks, uh, there are going to be individuals that we will see who will likely be carrying the torch for many years to come if they so choose. That's, I feel, is what's at stake at the moment. So at, is it at the end of this version? Yes, I think so. I think we've seen it. We've, we've ran it into the rocks, man. The wheels okay. have fallen off. But yeah, there's a chance for rebirth and um, we will see. Who steps up to the plate? Okay. All right. Well, Jing, I mean, that's, I, I, I don't know whether that's a positive or negative, just, you know, part of me thinks it's, it's sad that it, it's come to that. I, I almost said it at the beginning of the conversation about there being a death of the league is, you know, something trying to, a little bit controversial to try and stoke some fires, but to hear you say that you think in its, in its former guise, as, as we, as we've known it for the last, what six seven years that it is the end that that's quite sad you know that is quite sad Jing. um you know I, I i still have fond memories of of playing in the ufl playing in the pfl uh, coaching in the, in, in the in the pfl and and seeing some of these players up close and seeing some of the you know, magical talents that we were able to bring to the league uh, you know, players with players with some unbelievable experience. I mean, like, I feel like Rufus Sanchez back in the day. Mm. Um, you know, all the way up to the, you know, seeing Phil James. You know, lots of Stefan Schrock, obviously coming. Um, people like you know Tony Doblas, for example, coming over. For, you know, played at played at a top level in in Spain. It was a Bienve. Another one played at a really really good level in Spain. Um, it's sad to, to, to think that we, we might not see players of that caliber for the foreseeable future. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's, it, it's sad to sort of think in, in those, in those terms, if, if, if what you're saying is correct, but is this, is, is this an opportunity now, Jing? Is this an opportunity to rebuild something that's more sustainable? Is this opportunity for us to now think about things from a different perspective and let's maybe invest our time and energies on trying to attract people to the stadium? It's trying to um, get kids really active and involved in 
supporting their favorite local players at local teams yeah. you know, having having pockets of communities really get behind you know certain initiatives and drives that are set by these clubs to enable us to have a more sustainable model one that has as you said a broader sphere of influence not simply just trying to go after the the golden goblet of whatever that might be AFC regional championships or, or playing in a Champions League which on paper would be is, is obviously what you think about when you set up you know, as a playing career you set about trying to play at the highest level yep. or, or, or competing at a in an FA Cup final or, or, or in a World Cup but actually when you step back and you think about it if we can build something that's, that has more longevity then when we look back at 2010 as being the catalyst although we have had bumps in the road, maybe this pandemic can be another watershed point where we said, no, we can't keep going down the road that we go in. And we need to seriously think about how we can create a more long-term, sustainable, more engaging um, football brand that the Philippine football public can get behind. And I think ultimately, if we can do that, although it seems like it's a, pretty devastating period in, 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 in Philippine football. Maybe this is a watershed moment where we can come through on the other side and actually can be start with something much, much better. We can only hope. I, I'm very much interested to hear as well what the, the listeners think and, and, and feel as if is on the horizon for Philippine club football. And if you have your thoughts, um, please do share it with us on social media. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. If you like this conversation, you like the content that we can produce here on Across the Line, definitely please do subscribe to the show on YouTube, on Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we appreciate your support uh, throughout this pandemic. It's been a, a great source of um, enthusiasm for us and to stay motivated in, in talking and speaking about football and, and, and being involved with the community. And as we said, if you, if you have your thoughts on this, I'm sure... It's, it's, it's a topic that will div be divisive, you know. Um, there are people who are all in with the, the journeys that their clubs are currently on and to, to turn that around um, will cause a great deal of discomfort. And there are individuals on the outside looking in who, who spot the, 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 the pitfalls that we have fallen into over the last few years. So anything that you guys have would be great to spark a, a bit of a conversation. And uh, with that, I think um, we, we, we've... Uh, been able to speak about and, and, and discuss what, like you said, Chris, is, is, is a monumental moment for Philippine club football. Uh, it's been enjoyable, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I, I think the, the final point that I would like to make is, is, is piggybacking of what, of, of what you said earlier. I think everyone has an obligation and everyone has a responsibility at this particular moment in time. If you, if you are passionate about Philippine football, you know, make yourself heard, um, do what you can to support it. You know, I, I, I remember seeing on those message boards before, you know, people imploring, go to the, go to the ground, go to the games, you know, buy your local merchandise, you know, help clubs out as best they can, because we all need the support. We all need the support to survive um, because it is a very tumultuous period for, for, for many clubs. So, you know, if it's, if it's a case of, you know, like you said, buying the merchandise, you know, um, like and sharing videos of your favourite clubs, um, spreading the word amongst your friends. You know when it does reopen, get yourself down to the games, watch them when it's when it's safe <laughs> um, and and viable, which might not be you know 
around the corner. But I think that's really important. Do what you can. Do what you can to, to try and support your local football clubs, to support the, the football community as a whole. Um, and, and do so as, as best you can because without that, then the outlook is bleak. But if we can all pull together, then hopefully the, the, the brighter day is on the horizon. There is hope yet for Philippine football. All right. Uh, great chat. Thank you all for listening or for tuning in. And we hope to catch you on the next Football Friday. <laughs>